Hello and welcome to Minted Dialogue, episode number 208. Today is Sunday, the 14th of August, 2016, and this interview is George Northcutt, co-founder and head of business development at the Founders Factory, an accelerator with great ambitions and a very interesting business model. Closely affiliated with the Founders Forum, the Founders Factory links startups with corporates in very specific verticals, including beauty. In the podcast, George discusses the model at Founders Factory, how they work with corporates, and provide some great tips for entrepreneurs who are looking to succeed. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Minter Dialogue. Today I have with me someone I've never met before, George Northcutt, who's business in charge of business development for the Founders Factory. So, George, tell us who you are, what you do at Founders Factory, and what's your mindset. Hi, well, thank you very much for having me. Um, yeah, I'm one of the co-founders of Founders Factory and, and, and run business development, and that covers finding startups uh, to come into our accelerator. We have an accelerator model which is backed by different corporates such as L'Oreal, The Guardian, Aviva, Holtzbrink, and we look for startups that are specific to their strategic interests, but also great founders with kind of great technology that we think we can support and help. Um, plus, a key part of our model is facilitating connections and, and opportunities between those corporate partners and those startups that we bring in. So I do a lot of work uh, kind of doing classic business development, making sure these startups can gain real advantages from these corporates that we work with. Um, as far as your mindset? And my mindset, uh, to be truthful, I, I feel hugely energized. I, I mean, I love what we're doing here. Already this morning, I've met a crazy person building uh, autonomous vehicles for the last mile delivery. Uh, I've met uh, another startup building an ad exchange for virtual reality, gone and pitched a different business idea to The Guardian. And, um, you know, we're launching one of our incubation concepts into the market later this afternoon. And uh, the diversity of, of, of what we do here is incredibly exciting. And there's never, never a dull moment. That's cool. So one of the things that attracted to me uh, when I came across the the press release uh, that Brent was Brent Hoberman was cited about uh, talking about your relationship with L'Oreal is this whole concept of this accelerator with a difference. So tell us a little bit more about what makes this accelerator different versus the other ones. Yeah, so I think when Brent approached this uh, concept, he, he sort of felt when he was building lastminute.com, there wasn't really an accelerator model that exists today, which would really have persuaded him to kind of give up the equity in his company to go and join. And so the mindset he had was, what do you need to have to really attract that top, top entrepreneur to join an accelerator? And his view and our view has been that ultimately this sort of mentorship-led model where you do a sort of speed dating with mentors and hopefully some of them might be a fit for your business. Um, and then you might do a demo day and you kind of get help on your pitch and, and really formulate an idea for a company. That ultimately isn't going to attract the best entrepreneur. Ultimately, um, that might attract entrepreneurs who are finding it difficult to raise money or can't do it on their own. And that is a kind of negative selection bias. And so what we've tried to create here is a model where startups can be surrounded by a team of full-time experts. We've gone out and hired 35 um, individuals from 
growth marketing to AI to data science to product to design, um, pure technology, um, business development, corporate development and fundraising, who are all experts in their individual fields and are dedicated full time to helping the startups solve problems, execute on their strategies, build better strategies um, and work with these amazing corporate partners that we have as investors. Um, and that really is, a, is a quite a new model for the accelerator because it's six months of proper dedicated help. And uh, with that model, we think we can really transform companies. And, you know, whether it be a deal with L'Oreal or distribution with The Guardian or access to Aviva or the kind of many other corporate contacts that we have from Brent and Henry Lane Fox, uh, our CEO's uh, contact base, we think we can really help startups. And um, not many other accelerators are well resourced enough to kind of provide that kind of dedicated support. Mm. So what, what um, I noticed, of course, is you have four different section sectors in which you are investing, finding startups, and these are related to the uh, corporates that have decided to sign up. Tell us a little bit about the philosophy that allows for these corporates to exist together with Founders Factory. I mean, you know, marketing technology or insurance and, and beauty doesn't necessarily rhyme together. Well, what is the philosophy that allows them to hang together? So I think, uh, first I'd say that our corporate partners have come at this with a, a very kind of modern and millennial attitude to where technolo- technological disruption is happening. And, you know, there might be a game-changing AI technology or VR technology that, you know, comes along in, in media. But actually the applications of that technology could be much broader than that specific sector. So I think our corporate partners are aware that just by focusing on their own sector, they might not be abreast of all the latest trends. Um, so it gives them much broader exposure and an opportunity to work with startups which wouldn't normally be on the horizon. Um, so that's been the kind of key element. And whether that be, you know, a chatbot for, um, you know, helping consumers uh, sign up for an insurance policy, that actually might be a different way for consumers to buy products from L'Oreal, or that might be a different way to deliver news on The Guardian. Um, so we're really interested in how these core technologies that are emerging today can have applications across the different sectors. And what's exciting is how engaged our corporate partners are. And, you know, already with Aviva coming in as our investor in, in May, they are running trials and pilots with companies that we have in media, that companies we actually have in the education sector as well. Um, and that really is is kind of our model coming together. And we're still early on, but it was seeing some interesting signs of how that can happen. So George, how do they find out about each other? So, I mean, because naturally, if I'm if I'm in L'Oreal, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to spend most of my time thinking about the cosmetics or the beauty startups. How do they find out about the alternative activities and, and ideas in the other sectors? What I think a lot of that comes down to like culture and energy and, and how Founders Factory works. We have a team dedicated to passing this, all this information back to all the different corporate partners. Um, Aviva and L'Oreal, they have individuals that spend a day a week here in our offices. Um, and when we're building different products, we pull in different uh, parts of each corporate partner's organization to help us with those products, to help the startups. So they're constantly aware of everything that's happening. Um, And a crucial part of the structure of Founders Factory is that indirectly, each corporate has a stake in every single startup that we work with. So they are incentivized to do the pilots, to do the business development opportunities. And that way, we feel like the learnings and the cultural benefits can can really transfer across. Okay, so of course, this is reasonably early days, George, because you basically started up, got the corporates on board and you're just getting your first startups. But give us a little bit of an idea how it actually works. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, getting the entrepreneurial spirit, as we're always talking about, is, is something that all companies, all major companies are serious about innovation, want to get, but it's difficult to do. Mm-hmm. So how is it? how do you involve the corporates in a way that's enough hands-off for the entrepreneur to still feel free 
and yet it's going to benefit the corporate when it finally comes to fruition. Yeah, so to give a specific example, we've got a company in the media sector that The Guardian selected called uh, Vidzi. What they do is they take briefs from brands and they have a community of 1,500 professional filmmakers who then create short-form video content, which can be used on Facebook's ad exchange and for marketing purposes and essentially can produce huge amounts of content in a very short amount of time as against the pure agency model where you might spend a lot more money on a, on a longer piece. Um, and so with them, they came in here. They were a traditional more agency-style business. They worked with our product team uh, to really develop more of a platform and uh, have, have kind of done that in a very short amount of time. We introduced them to L'Oreal. We introduced them to Visa, to Vodafone, uh, to EasyJet, uh, to these big, big brands, and were able to use our contact base to really help them uh, increase their revenue, to develop more product market fit for this new platform that they were launching. Um, and from the corporate perspective, they got the learnings of how this really fantastic entrepreneurial team works, um, but also just the pure benefits of their product and their service. And normally they would never have just found that that startup at that earlier stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and for The Guardian specifically, you know, The Guardian understands that video is the new medium for publishing. And I hope everyone does. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, 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 they're trying very, very hard to, to, to do more in that space. And what Vidzi have done is revolutionized internally how The Guardian think about video, um, what the possibilities are in terms of how you can create a lot of content quickly, um, and experimenting with these different exchanges like The Guardian on Snapchat using video technologies or Instagram or Facebook. And Vidzi is pioneering all these new uh, methodologies and formats, and it's given them marketing, and it's given them new clients, and they're pitching together on certain um, different uh different to different brands now uh, but crucially it's given this new way of thinking a new way of learning around how these new technologies can be applied mm-hmm. um whereas the entrepreneur is getting these great business development his revenue is increasing he's got all these fantastic contacts and his business is just going from strength to strength so that's a nice example of like how all the different aspects of founders factory can come together to help a company all right so a little bit differently from most accelerators where you have the corporate link here how are the exits Structured is there? Is there? I mean, because I can imagine that would could end up being very thorny issue. I think traditionally that's been a problem for corporates, and that's why they found it difficult to participate in early stage startups. Um, when you're a very early stage business, you probably don't have product market fit yet. You don't know which direction your business is going to go in ultimately in the future. Um, it's challenging to have a corporate on a cap table or on your on a, as a board seat because they might restrict you from working with competitors. Um, other competitors might not want to work with you if they see that name on there. Um, plus, there's a risk at early stage startups pivot and, and change direction, and that might be difficult for a corporate to stomach as well. So you you kind of create a balance of disincentives essentially which is um, not very productive and so the key thing with Founders Factory is that whilst we do invest and we do create companies from scratch the corporate partner never sits on the cap table you won't see L'Oreal on the cap table of any of our companies or the Guardian or anything like that. It'll be Founders Factory as the investor. Indirectly, our corporate partners will have a stake, um, but they're not... Through the fact that they invested in you. Exactly, through the fact through their investment directly into Founders Factory. And so whilst they get the strategic learnings and the opportunities for, for their business um, from that startup, they don't have a say in the operations of that startup. They might have an opportunity to invest in the future if it's very strategic and they build a rapport with that entrepreneur, but ultimately the entrepreneur is in charge of his business and he uh, decides what those exit opportunities are and what the direction of his business um, takes. And that's really crucial to creating the right balance of incentives for, for doing this early stage kind of corporate and startup uh, business development. So as you can imagine, George, I have the eagle eye on, on L'Oreal and, and my past there. One, and obviously I'm fascinated by the, their experiences here and, and 
one of the questions that struck me was to what extent digital is a part of the brief when we're talking about startups? Because this notion of, of what is digital versus new tech or is, is innovation and digital necessarily the same thing? So how, how do you describe a startup? What are the parameters and does digital have to be part of it? So I, th- I think that's a, that's, a, that's a tough question in terms of like how one would define digital because I think it touches many different areas. And I think we approach it by looking at L'Oreal's business and seeing where digital or new technologies are, are affecting it and might affect it in the future. Um, obviously, L'Oreal is this enormous, hugely successful um, company. And perhaps traditionally, digital hasn't really affected it as much as you know some of our other partners, such as The Guardian and in the publishing space. Um, and so it's perhaps a, a r- relatively new medium for them versus some of the other companies that we work with. For us, we, we, we think of it in many different terms. On the one hand, is it a new way for delivering beauty experiences and discovering beauty and booking beauty treatments or um, finding the right products for you? Um, on the other hand, can it inform what products you actually uh, develop? We've got a business in our accelerator called um, Beleza, which is a community of uh, beauty lovers who are recommending different products, uh, reviewing products, and then selling that data back to manufacturers. And might there be this new model in the future where um, Production is, is directed by you know, what the data is saying about what consumers want, what consumers think, rather than just like pure sales. So we're kind of experimenting with all these different uh, models. But also there's an area of just beauty experiences generally. And um, you know, we're exploring virtual reality. We're exploring augmented reality. In many ways, L'Oreal is a pioneer in this space through Makeup Genius, which uh, was an internal incubation project they built and has over 30 million downloads. Um, and we want to really embrace those sorts of technologies and see how that can challenge and, and change how people experience beauty um, in the future. Um, and so for us, digital is all manner of different things. It, it can can touch all those different uh, facets of, of how people interact and acquire and, and use uh, beauty products. Right. So you mentioned with the, the Guardian on the media side, the consumption, of course, it's impacted the media because it is media digital. Digital can also be the way people consume information and participate in the purchase cycle. So that has an impact on the way I might purchase a, a cosmetic item. Digital also has an impact on the way we function internally. So I was just wondering if there's any internal side to the view, you know, are you looking at internal functioning B2B type material in the innovation cycle, or are you typically focusing on the B2C, the outside, the consumer-facing material? I think it's it's a total combination of both, really. I mean, when we're thinking of businesses that we should build, we, we want to think, are they genuinely disruptive? Um, will they really make a difference to a market? Are they genuinely solving a problem? Um, and I think a huge number of startups fail because they aren't solving a problem and they don't have that product market fit. And what we're trying to do is think, actually, by working with L'Oreal or working with The Guardian or Aviva, how can we circumvent the time it takes for a startup to find that product market fit based on the insights and the data we can get from our corporate partners and the speed with which we can build and test products? And so it doesn't really matter for us whether it's B2B or B2C. Uh, it has to have technology at its core, and it has to be something generally novel and, and, and innovative. But really, uh, we think of digital in very broad terms, and we think B2B and B2C can be equally lucrative and can be equally important for the corporate partners that we work with and um, you know, equally large opportunities for the startups that, that we work with too. So a little while ago we were talking about exit mm-hmm. and uh, obviously in an accelerator usually the idea is you, know, you have a participation in that, you grow them, they, then they sell to VC or to private equity or whomever mm-hmm. and bada bing you make a bunch of money. For L'Oreal or for the other corporates, 
the fact that they make make money on this investment um, presumably isn't really their first priority, which is maybe a little bit counter to your normal priority. Are you what kind of options are you looking at at the end? Because one of the ideas, well, this is a great idea. We should have it within us. We should maybe this is a technology I can be sharing with all my brands in the luxury uh, department division of L'Oreal or. Maybe this is a partner that we could help with uh, distribution, or or is it just a? Should it stay independent, and we're just going to be happy to to rake in the money that we get at the exit? How are you pr- approaching that part of it, or is that just too early days because you've only got one so far? Um, so, so I think our different investors have have, have different priorities. Um, you know, for some it, it's cultural; they want to learn how to build new products quickly and and what is the right model for. Um, doing kind of internal and external incubation. Um, I think other partners just want the strategic insights from what startups are doing. Um, they want a way to work with their startups to solve internal problems. Um, we, we see a lot of corporates who we work with who have problems and just know that they don't have the internal talent or the internal solutions to solve them and are now more open than they might have been previously to doing partnerships with startups to try and um, you know find solutions. And so obviously we don't, we haven't sold it to our corporates as, you know, we're going to lose the money and uh, we, we think we can make this a very successful model. Um, however, I think for our corporate partners, it's not so much, oh, we need to acquire these businesses and, and put them inside internally to, to for us to get any benefit out of it. I think they are aware of the cultural implications. They're aware of the strategic implications of working with these startups in, in a new way that they wouldn't have done so previously um, and in a startup they wouldn't have found previously either. So it's a, there are many different nuances to how our corporates want to work, but innovation and digital are all at the core. And uh, we think if we do all of these things correctly, then there should be a financial return for them at the end of it as well. All right, so I hope so. Um, Last week I was on a panel talking about the impact of this little vote that happened on the 23rd of June. The fact that uh, Founders Factory is based in London, how important is that uh, for this ecosystem and relationships with the corporates? And B, has Brexit um, put something of a spin on uh, your existence? And I'm thinking specifically the fact that L'Oreal is based in Paris. Yeah, so I mean, certainly from a personal perspective and from our company, it was it was a horrible day that, uh, on the referendum. And you know, we've got half our team are European. Um, we've just brought in a Lithuanian startup. We've got um, startups from all over Europe actually that apply, and we want to work with. And we really believe that London has this incredibly strong position because it has, it is the heart of Europe and the gateway to working with um, that European market. Um, because it's English speaking, or because it has access to money, what makes it? What makes London the heart? I think it's been a magnet for talent. Um, really talented developers and business people have come here to to work and, and build their businesses, and that's been a huge benefit for us. If you look at ad- advertising technology or fintech, or you know different things happening now um, in the media sector as well. Um, Entrepreneurs are attracted to come to London because of the access to talent that they can get, because of the corporate ecosystem as well. The number of international headquarters um, in London is extraordinary. And, you know, Founders Factory itself is a, is a good example of that, that, you know, by being in London, you can have access to these great large companies and a thriving ecosystem of, of talent below it. So, you know, from, from our perspective, we want to make sure that that ecosystem isn't broken by whatever the new government decides to do. And I think we're hopeful that that won't change. And I think Matthew Hancock being in government is a good sign because he was doing really positive things for the London tech community uh, and the UK tech community previously. I think key will be allowing 
European workers to remain here. Um, and that would be a real uh, disaster for a lot of the startups that, that we currently work with and see. Um, and to still make it easy for European companies to come and build their businesses here. We have this an amazing advantage, whether it be Swedish talented teams or German talented teams or Eastern European talented teams coming to London because they think they can build a better business here. Um, and we don't want to lose that uh, kind of position at the, at the heart of Europe. And then there's a kind of critical component towards fundraising as well. And we're very lucky to benefit from the European Investment Fund and the funds that um, fuel a lot of our VCs here. And uh, I think it's £2 billion pounds was invested in the last three years from the EIF in uh, UK VCs. So we need to make sure that either the right incentives are created by our government or the right pools of money are created uh, to still work with uh, those European funds and make sure we have this European outlook rather than an inward kind of UK outlook. So just talking about talent for one second, and I've got one more last question about uh, the startups themselves. You, you mentioned you have a, a team of something like 35 people who are uh, here for the six months of each startup. Mm-hmm. How about getting that talent uh, in and, and finding the best people for you? Because obviously they are going to be your accelerators, the people who are capable to do the right coding. Mm-hmm. How, do, how do you go about finding the best talent? Uh, is there you go through schools? What, just give us if, if you know about this stuff. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of different things. I, I guess... Firstly, the, when we set up Founders Factory, we wanted to set it up so that everyone had a, an equity stake in Founders Factory itself. And so we were able to hire this great managing director from Silicon Valley, um, the former head of platforms at Nokia Maps in Berlin, who's come over and joined. And we've got this whole array of different talented people that we've been able to find through Brent's network and Henry's network. And uh, that's given us these fantastic individuals who are, are building products and helping the startups. Um, so we have a great network for helping us to do that. But we're also thinking of it from a technical point of view as well. We've developed this um, program called founders of the future where we've developed some artificial intelligence which can you know scrape people's profiles and analyze and query whether people have that what it takes to become a founder of the future essentially um and we kind of combine that with peer review from venture capital companies that we know from corporates that we know from universities um and combine that to basically create a list of, of talented people we invite them to events and we engage them with what we're doing um and i think we we've kind of identified 150 people so far and about 25 of them already gone on to start businesses uh, after only six months which is which is very exciting so you know we're exploring it from a technical point of view we're doing traditional network things we're doing as much pr and press that, that we can do as possible to make sure people are aware of us um but it's it's critical to to our business both from the entrepreneurs that we find but also the product and engineering people that we keep here right well so speaking of keeping george um one of the other challenges a lot of corporates who are really listening have is not only finding these millennials but uh, keeping them motivated keeping them stimulated what kind of what what do you think is 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 the successful factor to make these people who are so talented stick around be motivated uh, keep working here I think that's a great question. And, and, you know, some of the corporates we spoke to, they said, well, if you can change our culture by 10%, that would be worth the investment. And another investor said, actually, if you can um, help me retain my 10% of my best engineers, that also would be worth it. So it's all about culture. Um, It's about creating the right dynamic to um, really make engineers and, and product people feel like they're empowered on everything that they're working on, to create a work environment which is very productive in terms of uh, how quick we can move, um, how exciting the projects we work are on, how much autonomy people feel that they have. We have a very kind of flat approach to building businesses. Um, and we have this huge advantage in that we get to work with these amazing entrepreneurs who bring all of their energy and creativity into our space. Um, and so we're not quite... 
at full capacity here just yet, but soon we will be, and we'll have a pretty thriving space of, of different people who, you know, with crazy mad ideas of wanting to change the world, as well as, um, you know, all these great connections to corporates as well. And we think that should be a, a mini thriving ecosystem in itself where people are going to want to work and spend a lot of time. From your experience, because you're so in touch with all these entrepreneurs, what what are the biggest challenges that they face in building their business? Well, if you, you you see so many of them, and then you get to select, and you said to me before the interview that one out of a hundred managed to get through and get picked. What are what are the, what are the challenges that you see are so obviously out there that that are impacting them, and maybe the advice that you might provide for them? I often think it's some of the most simple things. Um, the number of presentations and applications we see where you you actually read the 20 pages that you're provided with and you still don't understand what the product is um, and you're not really convinced about what the problem the company is trying to solve is either. And I think often the most powerful and compelling um, entrepreneurs you meet just have such a clear vision and such a clear story for what they're doing and why they're doing it. Um, and I think that that is by far and away the most effective way to convince people to back your company. Um, I think the other important things are an entrepreneur who has some reason for doing what he's doing. Um, that might not always be the case. Um, Do you mean a purpose? No, 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 not a, not a, not a higher purpose as such necessarily, but um, some kind of domain expertise for why are you the person to bring the magic to this problem? Like why you, over all the other people who are exploring this or have experienced this problem, why are you the person that's going to really make it work? Um, and an entrepreneur also who's aware of their own limitations and, and can build a team around them to, um, you know, plug the gaps that, that they can't fill themselves. And that's also something you don't always necessarily see in an early stage startup. One of my favorite kind of lessons that, that Brent's taught me is uh, that when you're looking at a startup, you have to imagine, would you work for that entrepreneur? Um, would you give up everything you're doing to kind of work alongside them? Do you, are they that convincing and are they that good a person? Um, but also, what does the 10th employee of that company look like? Um, it might be okay for someone who's average to put some okay people around them, but when they have to be in charge of hiring people, then suddenly the quality of that company rapidly diminishes. Um, and so we're really looking for the talent of that entrepreneur. And um, if they can articulate their business clearly and, and like why they're doing it and have some experience and expertise for doing it as well, we think those are often the key ingredients that, that are missing in a lot of startups. Well, I would add, George, that I think some of those ingredients are missing in large corporates as well. <laughs> so, George, thanks for coming on the show. Um, what's the best way for someone to uh, track you down, follow you? I've, I've increasingly uh, rediscovered Facebook as a way for, for doing work rather than just connecting with old university friends. So add me on Facebook, add me on LinkedIn. Um, those are probably the best methods. But um, also just get in touch through Founders Factory and, and just email me personally. We'll put all the links in the show. Thanks for coming on the show, George. Thank you very much. It's very enjoyable. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal That you mention in your lack of self security. Oh, I wouldn't care about the art form as long as you would feel warm.
The ridges in our palms make colors blend And look ugly in the end But they're pretty In their own disgusting values We'd hang our portraits in the hallways Make our house guests cringe Oh, I wouldn't care about the best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.